seated. It's a joy to have everybody in the house worshiping with us this morning. Uh, this is like three times a year we get Super Bowl Sunday together at Seven Mile Road. Uh, we like to be excited about all kinds of things in, in our lives, but then for some reason when it comes to church, our hands kind of get down here and we get kind of quiet and we look around. You're allowed to have a lot of joy today. Heaven is rejoicing today in salvation that has been granted to a few men in the life of our church. Heaven is rejoicing that God in his grace is calling sinners to repentance and to life and to a place in the family of God. It's okay if you, if you crack a smile about that and enjoy it with us today. This is the time of our service where I would normally uh, yell at you for over 40 minutes from the scriptures. Today's a different kind of a Sunday. We call it an all seven-mile road Sunday for baptisms and for membership. Membership in the body of Christ is beautiful and important, and we make a big deal of it in the life of our church. We wanted you to see the faces of those who God is gracing so you know I've got a new brother. I've got a new sister. Our family is growing. We also want to obey Jesus' command to baptize those who have come to repentance and faith in his person and his work for their salvation. And so that's what this tub is doing up here. We have not told our baptizees how cold that water is right there. They will always remember this day for multiple reasons, and that is one of them. But we will, in about 15 or 20 minutes, be baptizing folks in obedience to Jesus into the covenant people of God, as well as the family at Seven Mile Road. So this should be a great joy. And in what we're trying to do over the next 10 years of multiplying really healthy churches, we want this to be a staple of it as a regular rhythm. We're going to come together, all of us, to baptize and call members. We've been doing it in this room because we fit Um, Hopefully, some stuff's going to work out in Malden that the next time we do this, we'll be down in Malden with everybody at Seven Mile Road, baptizing and calling members, and then in years to come throughout greater Boston. So that's where we're headed. This is our time for sitting under the Word, the Word of God. The Word of His grace is what gives us life. It is our life. We sit under it each week. We learn from it. We believe it. We are shaped by it. And so I've been given the responsibility to try and be helpful and clear to you this morning with some scripture. So I'm going to do that um, in a minute. Let me start with a story that will set this up for you. When I was a 10-year-old lad, my parents did something very awful to my little brother and I. They sent us to summer camp. Anybody know that? Is that all about right there? If so, I apologize. I don't remember where this was, I just remember that it was far away, like Alaska far, Canada far, somewhere far from where I wanted to be, Um, and it was bad, it was a bad experience. We had counselors who were basically 15 and 16 year old boys who thought that counseling meant just wailing on all the 9 and 10 year olds with pillows in cabin wide pillow fights every night. I remember there was a basketball court there, but we were too little to be allowed on it, so all the older kids got to play ball, and I got sent to the arts and crafts room, (laughs) 
just not my favorite place in the world. I remember making something with frills and glue and a stick of some sort. I was banished, longing to be on that basketball court. They would take us on long walks in the woods at night with little flashlights, but then they would turn them off and run into the woods, and this was supposed to be fun, and I, I can still feel my little brother's grip on my shirt right here. I had two dreams every night. One is that my mom and dad would pull up in the duster, that's what we drove back then, and take us away. The other dream that I remember distinctly was that my pillow became a super pillow, and it looked like a regular pillow, and it felt like a regular pillow, and you could swing it like a regular pillow, only it was really made of lead, (laughs) and I was just dominating these 16-year-olds walking down the hallway. The worst part of the whole thing was the food. You know what that's all about. And the worst part of the food was the drinks. They had a nothing to drink but water rule. And they brought it out in the first pitchers that have ever been made. And this was before filtration, so we're just talking right out of the sink, warm camp tap water. Now, the problem is that we grew up in my house, and as you know, sugar is, we're big fans of sugar, and uh, carbonated beverages, and so this was really bad, night after night, except for one thing, there was uh, a soda vending machine that if you had the money, you could use that thing and get yourself a soda at the end of the night. One of these nights, I somehow ended up with a dollar bill in my hand, and this was when a tonic was maybe 50 cents, and so I remember going up to that soda machine and thinking, I am about to wash all my miseries away. The problem was that this was the grimiest, most wrinkled, most folded, rattiest, mangled dollar bill in the history of United States currency. And you know how those machines work when you try to put one of those dollar bills in. <laughs> they don't. And, I, you know, you go up to it, and you, it won't take it for about six minutes. And then finally it goes in about a quarter of an inch. Have you been there, or are you guys swiping your credit card at your vending machine? <laughs> and then it comes out, and then it goes in halfway, and then it kicks out. And then it goes in all the way, and you hear this jingling going on in there. And then it slides back out. I smoothed this dollar. I sat on this dollar. I I breathed on this dollar. I pleaded with this machine. Eventually, tears running down my eyes on this dollar. Bill, why? What's the because in there? Why the sorrow? Because I was not getting what I wanted. There's a happy ending to that. Somebody changed my dollar for quarters, and I drank 12 ounces like a shot. Boom, and I was happy. But the problem with that story is it's funny, it's interesting with a 10-year-old. Here's the thing I want to press with you today and keep this frame in mind. The problem arises when this is how we approach God. It's a very good picture of how many of us have oriented ourselves toward the living God. Life is not going how we would want it to go. 
things are not lining up the way that we would prefer, we push all the buttons that we know how to push with God, eventually there is great sorrow and weeping and mourning. Why is this my lot? And in our wrestling with God, in our approach to Him, there are tears and sorrow, but that sorrow is a self-centered, self-interested sorrow. We are grieved because we are not getting what we want. We're working our way through the enduring oracle of Malachi, this beautiful prophecy of the older covenant. And our verse today that we've already read together shows us that this is exactly what was going on in the hearts of the people of this prophet's day. Listen again to the verse that we've read together. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, and with groaning because, why are they weeping? Because he no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. They were coming to the Lord, to his altar, to his temple, and they were sorrowful, and they were weeping and groaning. But why? Because God's favor was not falling on them. Because their lives were not what they preferred that they would be. No Messiah had come, and it had been a while here since the promise was given to David. They had rebuilt their temple, but it was very shoddy, not impressive at all. Their city of Jerusalem was not nearly as beautiful as it had once been or as they preferred for it to be. They wanted Beacon Hill. They got Detroit. That's where they were living. Their harvests had not been very good at all. They would have preferred to be in that 1%, but they were sleeping in tents outside City Hall with the other 99%. Their reputation among the nations was not great. I need you to feel this. Life was not what they would have preferred for it to be. And so what do they do? They tried very hard to move God to rectify their situation and their circumstances. And when he didn't, what happened? Tears, weeping, and mourning. Why don't you see our tears here? Why do you not regard our weeping? Why don't you notice this groaning? Why won't you give us what we want? Do you feel this? It's a sorrow. It's a self-centered sorrow. You should have felt that same kind of thing when Pastor Matt opened the service with his reading today from the prophecy of Zechariah. Say it like this. Different people, different prophet, same old story. They sent a man to speak with Zechariah the prophet, and this is what they told him to say to Zechariah. Ask him this. Should we weep and fast 
in the fifth month as we have done for so many years. Do you feel this again? Hey, Zechariah, there's some stuff that we want from God. Life is not what we prefer that it be. We're not as blessed as we would have hoped. Can for years and years now, in the fifth month, we have come to the Lord's altar and we've cried and we've been sorrowful and we've wept. Can you go ask God if he's going to respond this time? If, if we come all sad, is he going to see us weeping this time and give us what we want? Can you go ask him if we should, if we should go do this again? And how does Zechariah answer them? It's so powerful. It's actually strong, hard, but helpful. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Say this to all the people of the land. When you fasted and you mourned and you wept and you cried, was it for me that you fasted and you mourned and you wept? And you cried. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Okay, what's he saying? Let's go backwards. When you eat and you drink, don't you do that for yourselves? What's the answer? Unless you're on a diet, and even then it's self-interest, it's motivating you. Absolutely. So church finishes up today and you go to Pisa Pizza or you go to Flatbread or Papa Gino's or Santapio's. When you get that menu, who's that all about right there? It's all about you, right? Give me that one with the pepperoni and the sausage and the hamburger. Triple meat, brother. Put it on there. It's about me. When I feast, it's about filling my appetite. It's about having a great meal that I will enjoy. There's nothing wrong with that. But what does Zechariah say to them? That self-interest, that selfishness, that looking out for you is the same exact thing that you are bringing to God in your weeping, in your fasting. When you come to that place of sorrow, it's not about him as it should be. It's about you. It's all about you and only you. It's a vicious question of Scripture. When you fasted and mourned, was that for me? Okay, so both of these texts of Scripture show us that sorrow in itself, there's nothing wrong with sorrow here. The problem in both of these texts with the hearts of these people, remember diamond hard is the way that Matt read it? is the motivation for the sorrow or the direction of the sorrow. Let me ask you this way. Should the people of Zechariah's day, should the people of Malachi's day been weeping and mourning and sobbing, should they have been sorrowful? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because the sinfulness that marked the lives of these people was terrible. We've been through this before in Malachi's day, right? 
They were bringing sacrifices to God that were supposed to be pristine and beautiful and from the heart. And how were they going about those sacrifices? They were grabbing the lame animal, the blind animal, the roadkill from the side of the road. That's what they were offering up to God with a shrug and a tilt of the head, whatever. It's just God. He doesn't care. I'm going to preach next week about this habit that they had gotten into of marrying men and women who were devoted to other gods, breaking the clear command of Scripture with no regard. Justin's going to preach on Thanksgiving about how they were divorcing the wives of their youth without another thought. Then in December, we're going to preach about how they were robbing God by refusing, refusing to tithe from their harvests. The sin was just piled up. They were living lives of disregard for God. But what's the problem in the prophecy? There was no sorrow about that. There was no crying about that. There was no weeping about that. They had sorrow, but it was not God-directed. It was self-interested. And so through Malachi, God says, no, that's not the kind of sorrow that moves me. I'm not your vending machine that you're trying so badly to get blessings from me as an end in themselves. Your weeping and your mourning, it's not holy, and I will not respond to it. I love you too much to let you stay in sin and get what you want. There is a different kind of sorrow that you're missing, and that's what we would call a God-centered sorrow or a godly grief is the way our last text refers to it. In other words, anybody can sit there and be sad when their life is not going exactly how they want it to go. There's something different going on when you find yourself sitting there and weeping because of the ways that you have sinned against God. A sorrow that comes when we realize that we have not loved and appreciated and honored and worshipped and glorified God the way that we are called to. Now that's a different kind of sorrow. This sorrow that comes when we realize we have been called to live our lives before the face of an infinitely beautiful, glorious, gracious, precious God And all we've been doing is thinking about me and me and me and me some more. In his grace, God gives a sorrow that breaks us out of that cycle and does something different. It's the kind of sorrow that Pastor Matt read about from 2 Corinthians. There were some Christians in a church in the city of Corinth like ours, just probably a lot more people, and they had sinned terribly. There was a conflict, there was a situation, and they sinned against their pastor, their apostle, who had shared the good news of the gospel with them. They had hurt him terribly. And all of our sin against our brother is a sin against Jesus, against the Father, 
against the Spirit, and he writes them this aggressive letter. And when they read the words of this letter, they begin to cry and weep on the letter. But it's a different kind of a sorrow than Malachi's people or Zechariah's people. It's a sorrow for their sin. It's a sorrow for their selfishness in that situation. It's a sorrow that they had sinned against Paul and therefore against God. It is a godly sorrow or a godly grief. They were grieved over their sin. And beautifully, that grief turned to repentance, which restored their relationship with Paul and with Jesus. I want you to hear the verse that Paul gives them to unpack this. It's it's beautiful. Godly grief produces repentance, which leads to salvation without regret. There's a lot of verses of Scripture that just somehow capture the gospel in one capital letter and period. It's right in there. This is one of them. Where does this whole thing begin? Godly grief, a sudden sorrowful awareness that we've sinned against God. What does godly sorrow, God-focused, God-centered grief produce and birth? This right here, a turning, a repentance, a walking away from this toward God. How does God respond every time there's a God-centered sorrow and a repentance from sin every time? This is the sorrow that he receives. This is the sorrow that leads to salvation. And when Jesus becomes our salvation, what does Paul call it? No regrets. If your entire days are spent frustrated at God the vending machine, sorrowful that your life is not what you would have preferred for it to be, you will die with great regrets that your whole world was just about you. If God in his grace brings you to a godly grief and a turning from that self-interest toward the living God and blesses you with new life in the name of his son, you will never regret that repentance, that faith, that sorrow, that life that was given to you. So I ask you today, Which one of these two texts most resonates with the sorrow in your life? Is it a Malachi, Zechariah kind of sorrow? I'm really sad. I'm really downcast. I'm mourning because my life is not what I would have scripted it to be. All the things that are on my list have not yet been given to me. And I'm sad, God. Why won't you give me what I want? Or is your sorrow a gospel-centered, God-focused sorrow? Have you come to see God as your greatest possible treasure and your sin as irrational and crazy and awful separating you from him and been sorrowful for that and turned from it to the living God and found his salvation to roll 
over you, that you were walking around life now going, there's no list of stuff that's going to give me gladness. I've been given God. I've been given everything. I have no regrets. My prayer for you is that you would stop with this self-centered sorrow and embrace this godly grief that brings repentance, which leads to salvation with no regrets. Now today, we are getting to celebrate that grace of God. He has brought Jose, my brother, to that kind of a godly sorrow. I've been with this man on retreats. I've been in his home. I've seen it in his eyes. There is a sorrow in his heart over sin and a gladness that God has loved him. There are no regrets in Jose's life. And I've seen this in this family sitting back there, Marquise, of whom we're going to get wet today. I've been in their living room, and I have heard repentance, and I have seen God-centered conviction and sorrow. Do you know what God in his grace has done for both of these men and for Jackie? When they turned to God, shoulders toward him, he has become their salvation. And there are no regrets when the living God becomes yours. Do you have a sorrow like that? Have you turned from your sin like that? Has Jesus become your salvation? That's what we're celebrating together today. We love to baptize those who have been discipled and shepherded toward the gospel with us, but once the tub is filled up and sitting here, the way that we read the scriptures and the stories in the book of the Acts of the Apostles is that at any moment, a sinful soul that has only been centered on themselves can receive a godly grief, can repent of that sin can believe in this gospel that's been announced to them, can believe and find life. And you'll see these stories that when someone steps into that, they go, hey, is there any water around? Because Jesus has given me new life, and I want to get wet if he told me to get wet as a sacrament signing and sealing my salvation. So if you happen to be here today and you have never been grieved over your sin before God, But today or in this season, that is happening in your heart. And you know that God has become, is becoming your salvation. We would love to baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and see you now walking around like we are with no regrets because the grace of God has been received and welcome you into the covenantal family of God and begin to disciple you and set you to mission for God's glory and for your joy. And so we know we're baptizing some repentant sinners today. If that is you and you know that your heart has been changed by God, we would rejoice in doing the same for you and welcome you into this journey of following Jesus with no regrets until the day he takes us forever. So I'm going to pray now, and it's going to be a prayer of rejoicing. It's also going to be a prayer of petition that Jesus would fill church after church after church in Malden and Melrose and Wakefield and throughout greater Boston with people who have come to a godly grief. And if you are longing to be baptized with us this morning, we're going to be standing to sing. You can just come down in this front door over here and take a minute to chat with myself or Pastor Matt. Um, 
and then to the glory of Jesus. We're going to baptize some saints who have come to sorrow, to repentance, and to life with no regrets. All right, let's pray this through. Father, first, we marvel and rejoice at your grace to us in Christ. We thank you for tangible elements like water. We need them badly. I need to see my brother Jose and my brother Marquise dunked in this tub today to be reminded of the power of the blood of Christ to wash away all of our sins. And they need to feel this cold water and this clean wash. They need to get out of here soaked and signed forever with no regrets that they belong to Christ. Father, we're simple people, humble people. Thank you for the sacrament of baptism and for taking H2O and making it a sign of an eternal salvation that's ours. Father, I pray that apartment by apartment, house by house, family by family, conversation by conversation in Malden and Melrose and Wakefield and throughout greater Boston, by your spirit, you would start to move us away from self-interested sorrow and move us toward a godly grief and toward repentance. I pray that we'd run out of water with so many folks needing to, longing to be baptized into the salvation that comes with no regrets. I don't know why you've been so kind to us, but I pray that our hearts would be stirred rightly this morning to rejoice in you and your son. I pray that we would not miss you today. So hear my prayer and answer. Amen. All right, our band is going to come and get ready to lead us in a whole bunch of singing today. Jose and Marquise are going to come and be ready to be baptized. If you're stepping up as well, just come right in here with these guys. We've got all kinds of bathing suits and shirts and towel stuff too, so that won't be an issue. Uh, all right, Jose, you're up. You're flinched. You can sit. Jose, have you come to a godly sorrow and repented of your sins and believed in Jesus to be your salvation? We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's yours. He's yours. Have you come to a godly sorrow and a repentance of sin and put your faith in the person and the work of Jesus for you? We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's yours. No regrets. He's yours. All of this incredible gospel is possible only because the God who created us in love has also redeemed us in mercy because he entered into our mess to save us. In the person of his son who lived the life we were supposed to live and then died the death we were due to die, but rose again to give us life with him forever. At his table, we remember this grace to us. And so if you're his, if you've been baptized into this reality, feast with us this morning 
on the body and the blood of Christ. If you're coming down to your left, you'll be fine. If you're coming down to your right, don't break your neck. It's a little bit wet. Come down, take the bread and the cup back to your seat. Sing with us as we do this and hold on to the elements and we'll take them all together. Let's feast as Jesus taught us to do. Let's do that.